Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. everyone it's LaShonda from Labors of Love and you're listening to the Labors of Love podcast again I know I say it all the time but I mean it every time I'm really 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 excited to have this conversation with this dope human he is a licensed clinical social worker and a radical educator today I have with me Marvin Tolliver hey Marvin hello hello how are you I am doing so well thank you so much for joining me today yeah thank you for having me I'm excited Uh, Me too. So I'm going to start with you like I do all my guests and ask, what is your labor of love? Yeah, I have so many answers, (laughs) but, um, you know, I was, I was thinking about this. I think my labor of love is, um, connection is, um, making connections between, um, just individuals. And and I'm going to leave that very, very general, but just, just connecting people, whether it's for business opportunities whether it's just because i think these two dope humans would just like get along um romantic connections like just i i love for folks to connect um you know i think that we are better i know it's like a cliche we're better together we're stronger together but i honestly think that that we are um and so i love to make all types of different connections um that have that that then produce like dope outcomes you know I like that. I love that, actually. I'm always intrigued when someone identifies their labor of love and I can resonate with what they've said. Um, But it's usually in a slightly different way. So before I tell you how I connected to what you just said, your labor of love is connection. You're a connector. Yeah. Um, Is there a, a historical period of time or situation or relationship that you've been in that you can like trace the thread back to like Marvin realizing that he was a connector or he valued connecting others. That's a really good question. I think it maybe goes back to maybe elementary or even high school, I mean, middle school, where we would have these different projects. And like, I was a person that knew, I I wouldn't say I was a popular kid, but I would like, I knew people and I could, you know, kind of see their skills. Mm -hmm. And so when I could say, oh, this, this person would be good at like foundational things. And this person is a dreamer. So they could be like, you know, good for this too. This person is um, a good speaker. So they'll be able to like present to the class. I don't know. I I always had like a gift of kind of seeing other people's skills and saying like, oh, I could fit that in there and fit that in there. And this, this could all work together somehow, you know? So, you know, I I think it maybe early in elementary, maybe middle, probably high school um, before group projects, were terrible in college. Oh, I was like, I wrote that down. <laughs> I hate grip projects. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Before that time, 
Um, <laughs> you know, I, I think I was, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty skilled at, and I, and I guess it take it also takes the skill of me kind of really seeing people for their, um, just kind of different attributes and their positive traits that they have as well and how they could fit with others. Um, mm. So I guess that's also a skill. Yeah. So some things that came up for me while you were talking, um, besides the fact that I hate group projects, but you're <laughs> right. Like, I feel like that didn't come until high school and definitely in college. Yeah. Um, there's this idea of being able to connect people doesn't just mean, you know, of people. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think there, there are folks who are well associated meaning their existence in the world puts them in connection with people from various backgrounds and various things. And and so, you know, I feel like most people probably have a friend or an acquaintance that when you need something done, you can be like, hey, do you know a plumber? Hey, do you know what this? Hey, mm-hmm. do you know what that? And they can be like, yeah, here's this, here's that. But what I heard from you And when I think of other connectors in my life, the thread that I see running through there is that you don't just know of people, but you actually know people, You know, people in a depth that would say this skill is matched well with this project or this personality trait is matched well with this person's personality trait. And Mm -hmm. I think that's, you know, when (laughs) I think being a connector in its essence is what you're talking about. Now I've seen it when it's a capitalistic ploy Mm. and that's when I think it goes awry. People start connecting people together when they haven't taken into account who they actually are. And then the connections, people will try to make connections work because they trust the person who connected them. Mm -hmm. But what happens Mm -hmm. when the connector is untrustworthy because they're only looking at superficial things. So, yeah, when I when I'm hearing you say that, I'm just like, ooh, there's something about knowing. And it reminded me of this show. You ever watch the show Leverage? I'm not. Okay, so it is it's not it doesn't you know, it's not on anymore. Well, actually, they rebooted. But anyway, I went back and watched this series. I really like it. There is a grifter, a thief, a hacker like the muscle, and then there's a mastermind. Mm. And I have this thing where I watch something where I'm always looking like, who do I identify with? Or which person would I be if our life were like this? And what I am not, but I always appreciate it was the mastermind. Because Mm. there are so many times throughout the various episodes where the thief they were they were good guys by the way they were like this is what they did but they were kind of coming into this like um robin hood kind of connection where they were trying to take down the big bad guys in service of some you know little guy who needed something or little gal to be (laughs) neutral in that and so you know the thief had a specific skill set and would problem solve based on that skill set. You know, the grifter had a different one. And he would frequently say, the difference is I know all of your skill sets. So when I make a plan, I've taken that into account and it, it considers things that other that each person hasn't considered. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating about that to me is it brings me to the work that I often do with people is our own internal ecosystem. Mm. What I call our littles, you know, our historical selves. Yeah. They got some mad skills, yeah. but they are very narrowly focused on that, achieving that one thing. And when we move into deep healing and we come into self, we become the mastermind. Mm-hmm. We're like, man, that little kid version of me got play on lock. 
Mm. You know, they bring joy. That adolescent part of me, you know, protect. They, ooh, that part of me knows how to protect themselves. And, you know, the part of me that went through that really knows how to do this. But like we can become the masterminds of our own internal ecosystem that our parts aren't just trying to take over everything, but we got to give them something to do. We mm-hmm. got to let them know that they're valuable parts of us and they can exercise in their thing. So those are the things that came up for me. So I'll give you a chance to see if there's anything you want to say about that before I launch into more questions. Yeah, I've never, I've, I've always thought of connecting as far as other people. I've never even thought about it in the way that you're talking about it. Um, but yeah, there are so many of so many parts of my my younger self, and I'll just speak for me, I'm sure for other folks as well, but so many parts of my um, my, my younger self that um, want to be seen mm-hmm. um, so badly and uh, maybe still restricts themselves for, for whatever reason. I mean, I'm for folks that don't know, I'm queer, bisexual, HIV positive Black man. So lots of things to be uh, guilt, to have some guilt and shame around. Um, and when thinking about identity and sexuality, Lots of things that I restricted myself uh, around, whether it was uh, the way that I spoke, music I listened to, laundry list of things, right? That mm-hmm. <laughs> that I, um, you know, kind of tried to um, make myself fit into a specific box mm-hmm. in order to be. Uh, perceived in a certain way and not perceived in another way and so with that restriction like those parts of myself still like the energy is still there and so how do I make sure that those parts of me um, are still seen are still valued are still loved um, along with every other part of myself that was able to exist Mm. so yeah it's, it's really interesting to think about me you know, in, in that in that context of connecting, something that this past weekend actually that um, I really thought about, and it, it's the first time that I thought about it, and it's wild because I've done it with my clients so much. Um, but I was I was thinking like, what actually brings me joy? Mm. <laughs> Come on. And I sat and I was just like, wait, because I was I was thinking about, you know, because my therapist was saying, you know, what what does Marvin want? What does Marvin want? My friend said, what does Marvin want? You do so much for other people. And I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'm good. I'm fine. I just want to make sure everybody's good. And then I really sat and I like I have um, free weekends now because I used to work Monday through Saturday. So Sunday was my only day off. And so I have these free weekends. I have all this time. And I'm just like oh shit, what do I do with this time? <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, let, let's lean into what I love to do. Let's lean into that. And I'm like, well, wait, what do I like to do? Mm. And I legitimately, I have a Google Doc right now. <laughs> and it says, what does Marvin like to do? And I legit had to start really thinking and listing things. And it would, and they were things that I challenged myself, things that did not involve anyone else. Come on. Because I'm there, I'm I'm a, a people pleaser historically. It's probably where some of that connection stuff comes from. Um, but it's you know it's like hanging out with friends, going to the movies with somebody, going out to eat with someone, going to happy hour with someone, going to the beach with someone. And I was just like, all of these involve other people. But like, what do I like to do by myself? Can I sit with myself? 
And it was one of the most difficult <laughs> and also eye-opening things that I've ever done because mm-hmm. I've always had people. I've always depended on people. I've always lived in different areas of the country so that I could be like, okay, I'm going to come visit you. I'm going to come visit you. But then it's just like, well, why am I not able to just sit and sit still? Well, folks, we're going to end the podcast there because, I mean, (laughs) that's a whole word. (laughs) So much of what you said, like coming back to what I said, I'll tell you after how I connected with your labor of love is I realized that I am a connector as well, but it's off. It's not other people. I I'm like the word, like when they be like, do you know someone? So I'm always like, uh, you know, the connecting people to each other is just not my thing, Hmm. but man, do I help people connect to themselves? Mm -hmm. I help people connect to those parts and versions of themselves that they don't even recognize are there. I help people connect their behaviors to their survival. I help people Mm. connect their beliefs to their survival. So I'm a connector in that way. And this is is not like um, set in stone, but I've realized, particularly when I talk to clinical social workers, is within social work, y'all learn about macro. As a licensed professional counselor, we really don't. Like we mm. swim in the micro <clears throat> and that fits me very well, right? I I need, this is why I love collabing with people who think macro because I often don't. I think very micro, but connecting people to themselves. And when you were like talking, I was like, not only is it a journey that I personally have been on to, what does Shonda want? What does Shonda like? It's so many other people. And honestly, we love surviving. Who doesn't, mm-hmm. right? So when people are trying to figure out we love surviving, how have we how have we learned to survive? Well, the people thing, as I say, so I used to say that I am a shape-shifting people pleaser in recovery. <laughs> what my spiritual journey has illuminated for me is that in all actuality, shape-shifting is not something I need to recover from. I just need to, I, I needed to learn how to use it the way it was intended. Mm-hmm. And the way I had been using it is constantly being around people so that I had many opportunities to prove that I was worthy of being connected with, of being mm-hmm. loved, of being liked. And and I, I had mastered that, actually. But in that frame, I didn't need to know what I liked because I just did whatever you <laughs> you wanted to do. I, mm-hmm. I didn't need to know what my hobbies were because I was going to do what you wanted to do. Yeah. And so it's this place of coming back and being like, OK. But there are parts of me that knows what it likes. I've just never asked them. What do you like? So I tapped into this really young version of myself around kindergarten age and reignited my passion for painting and for art, mm. which I think if I was thinking about me in my 40s, like, eh, nah. But when I asked that little girl, she's like, I just want paint. <laughs> mm. Oh, okay. Okay, you can do that. You know, in these other versions of myself, I want I, I want to sit outside and look at the night sky. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to tell us I want to I want to be like up there oh right so for folks who can resonate with what we're talking about of like yeah what do I like what do I know we're trying to ask ourselves after all these years of conditioning namely in 
capitalism and white supremacy and all these other things like what do I like but we can tap into some of our inner knowing some of those littles some of those historical selves and all of a sudden you be like oh I did kind of like to do that you know Mm -hmm. oh that was that and I don't want people to feel shame because they can't identify it because it doesn't come easily when did you have time Mm-hmm. We out here surviving. When did you have time to go, oh, here go the 10 top things I like to do? Most of us haven't had that luxury. So I hope folks aren't feeling shame around it. But I do hope they're feeling inspired by the fact that they can go get a day like, oh, I can do a Google Doc. <laughs> <laughs> they can do that. Like I can start thinking about it. So I, I, I really, I really appreciate that. And so I know that you named a lot of your identity points and I would love to just talk for a little bit about like what those intersections and well, how those intersections have like helped you see the world in a way that has made you dedicate your life and your gifts towards helping other people. You know, I, I have a, um, a TEDx talk that I did um, in 2022, in April of 2022. And it talks about, it's entitled uh, Black Masculinity, Homophobia, Homophobia and HIV and Unmasking. Mm. And in that TEDx talk, uh, which was the scariest, but also most amazing thing that I've ever done uh, to this day still, Um I talk about how masculinity, uh, specifically Black masculinity, really held me back. Um, How it really restricted me. Um, How it really made me feel like I was never going to be enough, no matter what I did, no matter what I said, no, no matter what whatever accomplishments I, I accomplished, there was this feeling that I would never be enough. And it was kind of this lifelong journey of figuring out how, when am I going to be enough? Mm. And being a people pleaser, it wasn't internally about me figuring out if I was enough, it was about how can I make sure other people know that I'm enough? Come on. How many different ways do I have to shift myself in order to be enough for whoever I'm in front of? Mm. And that was so one exhausting. Exhausting. (laughs) Hell exhausting because every single human is different. And so now where you're playing this game of, okay, well, what do they want? And let me try and be what that, that is for them. Mm. Um, well, can I just say part of the exhaustion is trying to figure it out. Yeah. Cause they ain't even outright telling us. Right. Yeah. In some ways they're, they're alluding to some might outright tell us, but for me, part of the large part of the exhaustion, cause I had gotten to the point where executing what they wanted became effortless. But it was the figuring out what you actually want from me, noticing the micro slight adjustments in your facial expression and tone mm-hmm. of voice and body language. And when you look that way and who you try to make contact with, all of that was like incoming data 24-7 computing yeah. into what I needed to output as a result. So mm-hmm. psh, exhausting. Exhausting. 
<laughs> I think exhausting isn't even a strong enough word uh, for, for what that was. Um, and, and so, you know, after a while, I was realizing that I was I was depleted and I still didn't feel like I was enough. No matter how much, you know, of this exhausting ass work I was doing. Hope I can curse on this podcast. You sure can. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's when, you know, we self-soothe, you know, we cope we make ourselves feel better in whatever ways that we could. And for me, it was uh, sex. <laughs> it was risky. It was DL. I was part of that down low culture. Um, it, it, it was that because there was, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. There was so much safety in the darkness. Ooh, can we pause there for a second? <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget your next thought, but Ooh, that hit my body. And I'm going to take a deep breath on that. I'm invite everybody else to take a deep breath on that. Like to the point where I could get emotional because mm. that was a whole word. Like there, there are institutions in this particular instance, I'm talking about religious institutions, specifically mm -hmm. the black church that will preach you down to stay out of the darkness. Right. While simultaneously living in the darkness when they're not in a pulpit, mm -hmm. different story, mm -hmm. but because they're attracted to the same comfort in the darkness, because in the light, you're on display mm -hmm. on the light. You are you are there for people to criticize and pick apart. But when you in the darkness, you with other people who try not to be seen as well. Yep. And I don't think we talk enough about the safety, the comfort the familiarity that comes when in the darkness you ain't got to shapeshift and pretend to be right because you like hey it's dark enough that you be you i be me you're meeting me where i am and so mm -hmm. ooh, that mm, yeah that that's the thing right okay yeah. go ahead yeah. yeah when expectations are low when enough is enough <laughs> Um, it's, it's safer in the dark. And I found a lot of safety in the dark and I found, found a lot of pain in the light. And, um, you know, it was, it was a, it was a struggle. It was a struggle to try and maintain this, this, this figure, um, this individual who who was always smiling, who was always happy, who was always helpful, who was striving to do good things, who was, who was doing amazing things. Um, and then also this other side that no one saw, that no one knew about, that um, simultaneously kept me going, but also pulled me down mm. at the exact same time. Um, and so uh, ultimately in 2017, 2017, I was diagnosed with HIV. Um, and that was a moment, and I talk about this during, you know, during the TEDx talk as well. That um, was devastating. Mm. It was devastating. Mm. But, and I, and I, and I don't, I don't want to say like, I'm happy it happened because I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely not happy that it happened. Mm -hmm. But it, it, there came a point where it was just like, I can't, this isn't a thing I can hide from anymore. Um, the, 
the the negatives are out tremendously outweighing the positives of how I'm coping here. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, you know what? It's it's time. It's it's time to just to just <laughs> I, I surrender to the truth. Let's just let's just let's just let it all out and see what happens. Um can I ask a the, question absolutely. about that process? Sure. Like, you know, there's this hindsight that we have where we can turn back and look and see what happened, but the intensity of the emotions begin to die down over time. Yeah. And so I'm just trying to imagine you in 2017. That's a big decision to make, you know, like surrendering to the truth, living out loud in the light. Do you remember kind of like, I heard on one hand, you're like, man, the negatives are greatly outweighing the positives. But do you even remember what it was like to try to let go of the few positives that there were? Like the toil or turmoil, you know, or maybe it was just a, a like, this is a, this is all I needed. But can you just tell us a little bit about that process for you of deciding that you were going to like live your life in the light? I think that was it was one of the first times that I decided to choose me Mm. Um, because with sexuality, especially for black men, um, it's, this is the worst possible thing. The worst possible thing is to be identified as queer. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I had shifted myself so much, made myself big, made myself small, made my voice deeper, made my sports game better. I had shifted myself so much. It it was just like, who the fuck am I? Like, who even am I anymore? And it just came to a point where it was just like, you know what? I'm I'm, I'm depleted. Like, I, I, I I can no longer... Like the mask got to come off. Like take take this costume off. <laughs> take take it all off. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Because mm. because because here we are. Here we are now. This is the result of all of the restriction, all the shape shifting of not being who I am, and this is where I am. Mm. So like, there has to be better on the other side. There has to be. Um, you know, and it was inc- incredibly difficult because this was what had kept me safe for so long because the fear was that everyone was gonna reject me and then this idea that i am not enough would actually play out Mm -hmm. um but obviously the opposite happened (laughs) (laughs) but you know in our brains we are thinking that the worst case scenario i remember having a conversation with my dad a month before I went back to California. So I'm, I'm born and raised in Oakland, California. My family's there. I go there every winter for uh, for the holidays. And my dad is an older black man born in the late 1940s. And I usually stay with him during the during the, the break. And so I'm like, all right, October, I got to tell him because maybe he going, you know, because he might say, don't come to my house. Mm-hmm. He might say he might disown me. He might, you know, all of these things. I'm just like, all right, because my sister and my and my mom already knew. Women typically, in my experience, were always more gracious, more understanding, more loving, um, would embrace rather than rather than push away. Um, 
And so, but, but my dad, known for saying homophobic shit, known mm. for, you know, being Mike. And, <laughs> you know, it, and so I had to have this conversation with him. And so I, you know, I told him, um, you know, about my identity. And he was just like, I'm not, you know, concerned with who you're dating. I'm, I'm just concerned that you're a good person. Um, and so I'm just like, okay, I'm going to come home then. <laughs> like, you know? The fact that you were pretty convinced, at, I it sounds like, that that was not going to be his response. And like yeah. the fear of a thing can be so much bigger yeah. than the actual thing itself. When he said that, do you remember like what that response, like that internal response was from you when he responded that way? It was... Um validation it was comfort it was it was safety mm. um i think safety was the most the most the, the the strongest word in it and it was safety for a couple of reasons uh, one because he was my dad he was like the first uh example of masculinity that i that i had seen um again he's 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 an older black man so masculinity was very important and very much on display for all of my life um, and having that validation from him is saying like, okay, well, he accepts me. So like other people are probably going to accept me too. Um, and again, my mom and my sister had already known and that's my core family. So then I was just like, wait, I got the big three. If the, if the big three accept me, then I don't give a fuck what none of y'all other people say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like y'all can kick rocks. Like the, 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 like my, my, my closest family and also my closest uh, community of, of friends and, and chosen family all accepted me so at that point i'm like unstoppable like i don't i don't care about y'all nobody's you peons over there like i don't care about y'all and so it was it was so validating it, it, it was so um i was just i'm just grateful just, mm. i'm just really grateful um and it also makes me kind of wonder damn what would have happened had i told them this in high school decades earlier right how would my life had been a little bit differently had Mm -hmm. I chose to you know express this but um but safety right safety is real it's so real and there are so many aspects of your story as you're telling it that I feel like overlap so much and mirror my experience um when I made a decision um to leave a 12-year relationship that Mm. I was in you know that you get to that point and you like there has to be better yeah. There, there has to be better. And all the ways that I have chipped away, buried, lost myself in the endeavor to to find the only safety I know mm-hmm. in the dark, right? So, so much of that like resonates for for me and what you were saying, and it it then makes me think of how to frame this because you know sometimes you're telling your specific story black queer man hiv positive this kind of coming out story mine is around you know relationship divorce separation and some people might not be able to find themselves in the details of that but i think what we're what we're collectively talking about is when we are in situations environments and relationships where we are actively and intentionally not being 
our true genuine selves mm-hmm. because the outcome of that could be disconnection, separation, sometimes physical harm and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's why I want to ask people, you know, something I try to think of myself, like <clears throat> if we're saying that sometimes people will choose the darkness because it's safer there. Like, can we ask ourselves, am I creating an environment where folks have to retreat into the darkness mm. because of me? Mm-hmm. No. So often we can think about where we are the victims of, you know, this harsh blinding light, right? I'm going to be giving a keynote soon where the t- the title is Be the Light. Mm. And we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be? What kind of lights are there? There are all different kind of lights that we function under that we take for granted. But if you've ever been pulled over by the police at night, that light that they shine, mm-mm, that that's not a that light don't feel good to my nervous system. It's mm-hmm. blind. It it takes away like some of us, we out here thinking we be in the light for people, but our light is so harsh and mm. it's so hot and it it it's it's narrowing in on something to illuminate only one thing that we deem a flaw mm-hmm. that our light could be sending people back into the darkness and i think that warrants us to sit down and look at our lives not just where we're the victims or recipients of this treatment but for us to really be looking at do i do this to other people mm. do i use language that's so isolating about different identities that someone who I may or may not know holds that identity comes in and they don't feel like they can be themselves Mm -hmm. because of that. Do I, all kinds of things, you know what I mean? Have I situated my physical environment that somebody who doesn't fit into what my life is? Because if I go somewhere and you only got chairs with arms on it and my hips can't fit, I'm I'm thinking you don't want me there Mm -hmm. because you don't even have the seating to accommodate my body. And I'm yeah. able-bodied. I'm just big-bodied. Mm-hmm. If there's no way for someone who needs mobile assistance to get in, like, these are the things I want to encourage my listeners to think about. Because, you know, yeah, I think both of us are kind of, we're good storytellers and and we are, you know, we people want to listen to us. They like us. Yeah. <laughs> but can you take what we saying? Like, like us, fine. But like, can you actually be introspective about your life? based on the circumstances that we're saying so yeah those things were kind of coming up and to that point of like yo I got the big three I love when you say this like yes right but on the contrary think about how many peons as you call them we spent time shape-shifting for we spent time people pleasing for Mm -hmm. right like we we out here trying to appeal to the masses we don't need the masses sometimes don't even have faces and Mm -hmm. names we just i'm i'm trying to appeal to the thought of they you know they think this and they think that but there is something about getting to a place where the people you care about most demonstrate they care about you and all of a sudden those nameless, faceless, they start to evaporate a little bit. Mm-hmm. Cause it's like, damn, I gave y'all a whole lot of power and you ain't got a face. So, Ooh, I, I, I love that. And to, I, I'm grateful for your story as well. I'm grateful your father had the response that he had because you deserved that validation yeah. and that safety. Yeah. Yeah. It was, as you're talking, I'm thinking that it was validation for me in that moment um, but also validation for that younger version of me that was afraid as well, you know? 
was that, yes. it was that, that, that inner child healing that needed to happen all at the same time. Mm. So when you ask the question now, what does Marvin want? That little boy, he freed up a little bit. Mm-hmm. He can he can respond now because you didn't a- achieve this age with all the skills and resources you have to navigate the world. But five year old Marvin hasn't 10 year old Marvin hasn't 12 year old Marvin hasn't. And if without us in our current state doing that work on behalf of those littles, we go back to ask that question and they're going to continue to respond with I'm good. Mm-hmm. No, I'm fine. They just love surviving because what's the alternative? Right. When yeah. we do the work on their behalf, they can say, actually, I like going on walks by myself. Actually, I like painting. And this is what I really try to help people lean into, that the healing is not just for the present moment. Mm-hmm. It runs backwards through our lineage, our littles, our parents, our grandparents, great, great, great. And it runs forward to our descendants. Whether you have children or not, please know that all of us are birthing something. And if we think about the time of enslavement here on this continent, there was something called the condition of the mother law that, again, if nothing else, capitalism is pretty damn genius to keep doing what it does. So the condition of the mother law essentially stated that a child born during that time period would follow the condition free or enslaved of the mother, which incentivized Many men who were enslavers, colonizers, and all that to continuously impregnate women because if the woman was enslaved, the child would automatically be enslaved. Mm. And if the woman was free, the child would automatically be free, only based on the condition of the mother. Well, when I am trying to help myself and other people understand, is as we achieve freedom and our beliefs and our worldviews and our behaviors and all that stuff whatever we birth after our freedom is born free so that Mm -hmm. that business venture that you're thinking about that you want to birth man you birth that while you're free and that idea gets birthed free unless you choose to go back into the bondage of these particular thoughts so i want people to think that i'm just talking about like children You know, that healing goes forward through children, but also our ideas and the way we're in community with people. And so freedom is important. And people don't understand how one of the ultimate um, determinants of freedom is safety. Mm -hmm. Am I safe to know I'm not going to be dragged back into forced labor? Freedom didn't mean it was easy. Freedom didn't mean they automatically had resources, but it meant the safety from that forced stuff. And sometimes I think you and I, when we when we chose the darkness, you know, it was that forcing into the darkness because it wasn't safe. We weren't free to be who we were in the light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So many points. Um, <laughs> so I just, you know, Back to the you know the, the TEDx talk. One of the two of the things that I mentioned are sweeping things under the rug, which is what a lot of us are really really good at not talking about what needs to be talked about. Um, and then also the expectations of who you're supposed to be versus who you actually are, and. Those things are also those things are shaped by a myriad of of, of 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 things. So like there's religion, 
there is family, there is community, there's when you're in school, right? Because like the school culture shapes you. Um, there's the the black community, right? Because that's that is a little different than like the community as a whole. Um, there is white supremacy, homophobia, capitalism that play in there. And so we're supposed to be, in quotes, supposed to be a certain way, which is why, why there are so many issues right now is happening with identity, because people think that we're supposed to be a certain way instead of allowing just people to, to be um, and, to, and to be free. And after a while, it was like, I, I after that, that uh, time I was diagnosed and started to just be open about who I am um, in every aspect of my life. There was a, just a, a, a questioning that started of like, wait, why am I doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we subscribing to any of this? None of it works or it works for a very small group of people and not for everyone else. And that I think also um, that, you know, being diagnosed kind of unlocked this like this, this, this voice that had, had, had always been there, but has had been too afraid to, to speak up and to speak out. Because I've always had things to say. I've never felt, again, safe enough mm -hmm. to say them. I never felt smart enough to back up my, my points with facts. Mm -hmm. I never felt good enough to articulate what I thought um, my point was. I never felt um, uh, strong enough to, to like debate with someone. Again, the people pleaser don't debate. Ooh. The people pleaser says, oh, no, you know what? You're right. I don't have right. an opinion. And so this this new strength came out and I'm just like, oh no. Everybody gonna get it. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody can catch these words. Um and then they started to. <laughs> and then my platform was born. No, um, but you know, I, and I and luckily I met individuals in grad school in my, in my MSW program at Boston College, um, like-minded folks typically black and brown folks who we all thought very very similarly and so it's very different saying these things by yourself versus saying things with like a group of people together mm -hmm. and so it's like oh shit we have power power and in some ways validity right mm -hmm. it's like if i say it people are like oh that's just your experience oh that's not everyone then there's more people saying it and it's like, so we all wrong? We all making it up? Right. Right. And and I think so much of the culture and the systems that we live under has put so much emphasis on one, cognit cognitions as our only way of knowing. Mm -hmm. And so, and then verbal language as the primary and most exclusive way of expressing our knowing. And so then if we feel like we can't articulate a thing if we can't win the argument if we can't be compelling enough then we shouldn't say anything and i'm saying that as a person who you know i got words on lock you know what i mean i i i can use my words i'm extremely articulate and i still feel the pressure 
of the system coming down to say not compelling enough, let alone, mm-hmm. you know, my siblings who are more introverted and like to think a thing through to completion before speaking or who can express it through art or through creativity and through movement. So the system has dictated like, oh, this is how it is. But you know what? There were so many things that you said, but like, who am I supposed to be? This this brings up my three questions that I I highly encourage people to ask themselves when they encounter a belief. It doesn't matter what the belief is. The first question is, who told me this slash where did I learn it? Mm-hmm. We got to sometimes just be real about the source. You walking around, you 40 some years old and you think you stupid because a little boy named Jared in third grade called you stupid. (laughs) Like at some point we got to stop and be like, maybe little Jared in the third grade who was trying to get his own needs met is not the best source for me to hang my intelligence on. Mm -hmm. But we do that, you know, or we'll say, you know, I always have to put a down payment in relationships with my body or with my time because Mm. I'm not worthy of being loved as I am. Well, maybe this is your first time hearing it, but I want to let you know that your caregiver's inability to love you the way you deserve was more about them than it was about you. Mm. Them not loving you was not a direct indication that you were not lovable. When we start to go back and be like, where did I absorb this? Where did I learn it? All of a sudden we'd be like, man, maybe that's not the most reliable source. Mm -hmm. And just because a whole bunch of people are corroborating around a lie, AKA Santa Claus, doesn't make it true. So the first question, where did I learn it? Who told me this? The second question is, is it true slash is it still true? Some things had to be true for us when we were children. You know, I have to seek out other people to be in connection with them because everyone in my family has so much going on that they would never come check on me. I'm not going to tell you that wasn't a true reality. But what I want to tell you is like, you're not six anymore. You're Mm -hmm. not 13 anymore. Right. So what was true may not necessarily be true. I grew out of some allergies. Like I had this test when I was 10. I was allergic to like 31 things. Me too. Right. The thing on your arm. Yes. Yeah. Poking you all them times. Well, them things bubble up like that. Well, <laughs> Damn. How am I skin doing allergic to like all this shit, right? Just yeah. allergic. But I've grown out of some of those things. Was it true that I was allergic? At one point it was. Is it still true? It's not. Right. Mm-hmm. So where did I learn it? Who told me this? Second is, is it true? So is it still true? And the third is, who is being harmed and who is benefiting from my belief in this? Mm. And when we come to this, who are we supposed to be? We get to that question and we will start to find out that we are very rarely the benefactor of who other people tell us we are supposed to be. Mm -hmm. They, now we're back to they, they could be the systems, they could be the church, they could be your job, they could be your partner. They are often the recipients, the benefactors of who they are trying to convince us We need to be when the reality is what I took that as is, oh, let me shape and shift. But people fickle. People fickle as hell. Mm -hmm. So they tell you what you need to be. You spend all this effort becoming it. And then next thing you know, they decide they want something different. Mm -hmm. And then you like, I didn't either do it right or I need to keep shifting the the now me, the gift I've given myself and all of my littles is kind of like I am. Period. I am. Mm. And what made the I am for me possible, and this is this is emerging. I don't even want to make it seem like I've been here dancing. Nope, I'm still emerging in this. 
But in order for me to settle in my I am, I had to be okay with some people not choosing me. Mm -hmm. And that was the most devastating. That's what I had been running from my whole people-pleasing life. I actually was being hella manipulative. I was taking away people's autonomy. I was becoming indispensable in their lives because I didn't want to give them the option to not choose me. So I would become whatever I needed to become to force them to choose me. And there is something about realizing that there are plenty of people I don't choose and that's okay. And there are going to be people who don't choose me. That takes the pressure off of having to be what they wanted it to be. You know what I mean? The Labors of Love podcast was kind of my introduction to this heavily. This is what I want it to be. It is an avenue for me to sometimes get passive aggressive and talk about things to the ethos that I don't talk directly to. I'm working to other people about. I'm working on that, you know, it, mm -hmm. it, but it is what it wanted to be. And you know what? There are probably a whole lot of people who got a whole lot of opinions. Well, have you know, I why she don't have those kind of guests or she always doing it. And guess what? They get to not listen. And once I was okay with that, oh, then the journey began of figuring out who I was at my core. And that 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 started a while ago that I'm not trying to act like that's an easy journey. I literally, you said you had your Google Docs. I started this back in 2012, so I didn't have a Google Doc, but I had a piece of paper and a journal. Mm. And I would literally go, is purple really my favorite color? Mm. And I would sit with it. And then I'll be like, mm, okay, I think I like that. You know what I mean? I'm going to say this out loud, though we all know Marcel and Mixed Company, but yes, fried chicken is my favorite food. <laughs> um, But I wanted to sit with it. Yeah. Do I do I really like thrifting? And I came with a resounding, hell no, I don't like this. My last 12 has been all around these people thrifting and excited about, I don't, I want my, no, I don't yeah. want it. So then it's like, <laughs> oh, I don't like that. And I can still come across some residual stuff where I got to ask myself, pause, where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. Is this some of the residue of my people pleasing? I'm around these people and all of a sudden I think I like that too. And mm -hmm. so giving myself the permission to pause has allowed me to go like my, my preferences get to change, but I just need to know that I, I run a slippery slope between changing preferences and people pleasing. And I'm learning to distill the difference between them. But yeah. if I'm always allowing people to tell me who I should be, and sometimes who they think I should be is who I actually am. So, hey, mm -hmm. high five to you. But it doesn't always work out like that. Yeah. Yeah, the 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 inner critic is so powerful. Critics are so powerful. Um, you know, with with my clients, I always say that <clears throat> our brains uh collect evidence that makes us believe this this statement that I am not enough or I am bad or I am ugly or whatever it is. Um, and what I love to do with people is to identify those critics and just slander them. Just like go in, like, wait a minute, Johnny at four years old, that was, that couldn't wipe his own ass that like, you know, like I, I look, I'm, I be disrespectful to that inner voice. Don't just say, oh, no, don't do that. No, say, fuck you. I'm going to fuck you up if you come back. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and we because we really have to be that type of protection for our younger self, too. 
because the one thing that I wish I had when I was younger was some protection. Come on. And I and I love to be that protector. I love to be that. Oh, no, you got the, the cavalry is coming for your younger self. Let's get them. And the, th- the crazy thing is, when you said that, it reminds me. So I do some work for this corporation and, and we were talking about joy, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, when you said Joe's like, yes, we were talking about joy. And it's one of those things where this is all melanated folks within this corporation and we kind of gather together. <clears throat> and one person said, like, because I, I said sometimes we talk about finding our joy all the time. I want to find joy in my work. I want to find joy in this. And I say, but sometimes these systems don't provide the joy. So you ain't going you ain't going to find it there. You got to bring it. Yeah. And maybe that's a playlist that you like, whatever. Right. But it's also a person saying, well, I, it's the fake joy for me. Like we got to be smiley all the time and we got to bring this and that, you know. And I was talking about how, well, one, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the genuine joy. But the other thing is. I enjoy responding with questions so these systems and even how we've internalized it and what we do to ourselves is I have to provide the evidence that I am enough and instead it's like provide me the evidence that I'm not Mm. oh so you come in with you gave me this thought that I'm used to clinging on to you know but what I'm saying is one of my favorite questions what else could be true Mm-hmm. So you picked up on that one little piece, but help me understand, you know, the example is like, you know, we often as melanated folks are su- um, subconsciously and subculturally expected to be the morale bringers to our work environments. Mm-hmm. We got to be jovial and happy and smiling all the while fighting through all the systemic oppression. Right. So when you show up one day and you say, I ain't doing it today. Now, you didn't showed up. You showed up on time. You're doing your job, but you are not erasing people's um, their, what is it? Like, we have to make them comfortable. We're mm-hmm. not erasing their discomfort with our jovialness. And so they might have someone come up to us, particularly non-melanated. Is everything okay? You just, you you don't seem like yourself, aka mm-hmm. you don't even know who I am. So the question is, oh, was something in my work? not what I was but you know oh that's not what I'm saying but what are you saying right see those are the questions where all of a sudden we internalize it and then we got to feel like oh no so next time I got to do it better so they don't think they don't even know what they think in half the time mm-hmm. so what I'm saying is let's engage in the discourse so when you were talking about like how you talk to your inner critic my inner critic and those outer critics is let me ask you a question where's mm. the evidence Show me, you know what I mean? Because I will read the look on your face as evidence that I'm not enough. Once I said, Mm-mm, they gonna have to go, if we gonna, if we gonna play this data game, then bring me the data. And you know what? They can't. So at this point it's like, oh, that, that sounds like a problem. That's not mine. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> if we got a morale problem and no, that, that sounds like a problem that I'm not willing to put squarely on my shoulders. And so same with my internal ecosystem when it'd be like look at the face they made you know okay I I saw the face did they have did they say something oh they Mm. didn't because the reality is I'm no longer responsible for people's unspoken requests I also stopped turning statements into requests so somebody be like, oh, you know, growing up, if some, you know, my mom was like, oh, I'm hungry. I would take that as, oh, go get me something to eat. It's to this mm. point of, 
when my kids come to me and say, I'm hungry, I say, hey, hungry, I'm mom. <laughs> I mean, you can tell me statements all day, but I am no longer a translator for people's inability to actually state what they need and what they want. Mm -hmm. And it's their work to develop that skill. And until then, I'm going to be over here being me. Now, if there's some subtext there, I don't read subtext either. I don't read between the lines anymore. I don't, mm. I might, I might be aware it's there, but that doesn't translate into me doing anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's hard to get there as a, as a recovering people pleaser. It's hard to get there, but when you get there, it's like, why am I doing, why am I doing all this? <laughs> why am I doing all of this all of it and you start to or i i also speak for me i have started to make my own requests because i also couldn't didn't think that i was able to ask for anything and also i mean this is for many different reasons you know society as black folks they give us crumbs and we're supposed to be happy with it um as a people pleaser someone gives me a stick of gum and i think the word you know bffs now you know like and you know, now I'm able to say not only not only request things, but say, oh, no, I deserve this. Ooh. Right. Even with with and this even comes up in like speaking gigs. Right. Like coming up with what price is appropriate for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I just got requested to speak um, for another gig. And I was just like, actually, I need another thousand. Come on. Because I deserve another thousand. And you're you a whole ass institution. So you you got it. And you can say no. You can say no. But what I'm not gonna do, listen. Yeah. It it's 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 that that for me, that was one part of it. Like you gotta come with the number I want, right? That took a lot of work to get to. Now Oof. I'm even if you come with more than that amount, do I wanna work with you? Yeah. And that is a question that I have. I grew up, you you don't go pick your car. You what can you afford? You know, I couldn't choose what clothes I wanted. It was, I lived a life of settling mm -hmm. and I had the audacity to be grateful when I got that piece of gum. Mm. Oh my God. Just that you would think of me to offer me gum. Oh my God. Just that you would want to call me at two o'clock in the morning and unburden all of your pain. I feel so grateful. Oh my God. Like all of these things that now I'm like, uh, 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 I, 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 <laughs> this last week. I realized I was friends with 1200 people on Facebook. <laughs> yeah. So mm -hmm. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> and as I was going through dwindling down this list, first of all, there were parts of me like, well, wait, 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 why do we got to do that? Wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. And I'm like, we're doing it. Okay. And then it was like, okay, well, what's our matrix? Like, what are we looking for? So there was one part was like, how about like, if we don't actually remember who the person is, it's okay to delete them. And then, mm. and then it's like the committee was like, okay, cool, that's good. And then another part was like, okay, well, what if like they don't really be posting? Like we don't really do connect with them on here. Can we'll delete them? And then the committee was like, yeah, that's that's cool. And then you know somebody else thought out throughout all these suggestions, and I'm going through, and every to every delete, there was a part of me that was like, but wait, wait, wait. Mm. But then I got to a point where. I realized there are some people I was connected with on Facebook that if I scroll past their name, I would roll my eyes and I couldn't even control it. Mm. 
like, why am I choosing to even be superficially connected with somebody that I clearly got some kind of something going on with me? But my partner's like, but wait, look at the relationship we used to have. Mm. Look at the relationship they have with your family. Like there were these mass negotiations that were happening Mm -hmm. within me and what it came down to and again this is emerging I can't even say I fully live into this yet but it was a point where I had to say hold up y'all I get to choose Mm -hmm. we get to choose everything was about but what if they want to see our poll who gets access to me has been my whole life and I said pause we ain't got to do that no more Mm. who do I want to be connected with mm-hmm. so the, I feel like the things we're talking about you know some people might listen and be like that feels so big start small start start in these reasonable ways I was the type of person that walked through life literally walking through life and I felt like I had to smile and say hello to everybody mm-hmm. what I realized and then the narrative around that is that I'm just a nice person no what it was particularly when it was European descended it folks was that I was trying to make them comfortable with my Mm. existence. Mm -hmm. When I realized that their comfort is not my responsibility, and if my existence makes them uncomfortable, work for them to do, not me, I don't speak to nearly. Now, that doesn't mean if someone speaks to me, I'm not going to speak back. That didn't mean I turned into this rude person. What it meant was I had made up stories that made all the things I was doing seem like what I was supposed to do. And instead I went, nah, I get to choose and it's okay. And I don't have to do it just out of anger. Mm. So you were saying, you know, I get mad. I'm cool to put up a boundary when you didn't piss me off. Mm -hmm. But what about when I get to just put up a boundary because I deserve to be protected and contained? Right? Yeah. Yeah. One of, um, this is a space that I love that I'm in now is that my reasoning for anything is valid. My reasoning for absolutely anything is valid. And usually my reasoning is because I wanted to or because I didn't want to. And that was it. And I love <laughs> being in this space. So, like it can be, I'd be watching TV sometimes and I'd be like mid whatever I'm watching. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to watch this no more. And just turn it off. <laughs> last night like this is a good episode but i'm done yeah my energy ain't feeling this i just no i don't want it mm. and I, I even with like my parents sometimes and, and this is hard because my parents love to talk to me about all of the things and i'd be like yeah i don't want to talk about this <laughs> my dad loves to talk to me about about my mom and their in their whole dynamic i'm like mm. yeah this conversation ain't for me you should get a therapist though who's not me Who's not me? <laughs> yeah, you want me to fight? I can. I can help you find one. That's that's one thing I can help. Constantly <laughs> volunteering, I will help you find right the liberty and freedom that you're talking about. Like, not only is whatever reason I have valid, but I also have stopped, um, like putting the pressure on myself that I have to convince you mm. that it's valid. 
Mm-hmm. See, that was the thing. Even if I thought it was valid, if someone else didn't think it was valid, then I had to go into all of my very charismatic, manipulative, wordy ways of trying to convince you. And since this part of the journey has been for me, I'm going to be generous and say four to six weeks that I've really, really been walking this out. I have mm. used so few were words in the last month and month and a half you know, in emails, they used to just be full of words for words sake. Yeah. Instead, I sent an email that said grateful for the invitation and I am going to decline. Mm. Thanks. I sent that thing and almost threw myself a party because (laughs) it would have been so much more before of all the reason I had to explain not, you know what I mean? This was also the response to somebody who want sees my greatness and wants to capitalize off my greatness and then offer me a hundred dollars. I don't turn my computer on. I don't send an email for like, what are we? Okay. But what would have previously happened is I would have been real frustrated, pissed off about it. I would have talked to my, my people about it. I would have vented about it. Then I would have sent back this apologetic. I'm apologizing email. And instead I went, Ooh, I have new matrices. Mm-hmm. I'm only connecting with you if you can truly see and appreciate my value. No longer do I have to make you see it. It's there. It's 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 all over. I had to tell somebody Google me. Right? That's that kind of value. If you're if you are blessed enough to come into personal relationship with me, you know you can't even measure this value. And if I got all this value, why am I sitting here trying to convince you that I got it? So I didn't have to be mad about it. I didn't mm-hmm. have to feel resentful. I didn't have to feel slighted. It's cool. Yeah. No, nah, I'm a decline and I'm gonna keep it pushing. Right. I didn't have to tell you that that was insulting. I'm just going to move on. So I've used less words and I've had more energy because the energy I used to put in trying to convince people of different things, I now have at my disposal. It's like your Saturday's off. Mm. What am I gonna do about this energy? <laughs> right. Whatever I want to. Yeah. That's another thing that happens when we're able to mm-hmm. lean into what we want and turn off those other those other shitty voices is that there's so much space in your brain for other things. And <laughs> your like, body. Wait a minute. I can I, I'm not ruminating over my response. I can just there's just nothing there. Okay, well, what are we gonna do now? You know, like I feel like that's another part of healing that we don't talk about is that when we do heal and these these things don't take up so much space, um we can start to lean into what we really want to do or or activities or anything like that. So Yeah, it's not taking up space in your brain. Keep in mind that the brain's job is to wrap a story around what's happening in the body. Mm-hmm. So not only does it free up space in the brain, it frees up space in the body. All of mm-hmm. a sudden, your capacity to take deep breaths has increased and you don't even you don't even really understand why you are actually being more active. Mm-hmm. because you have more energy to be more active and you weren't even intentioning to be more active. All of a sudden you're more creative. Sleeping you're more better. playful. Your sleep is increased. You hydrating. You got the energy to make the food you want to eat instead of the food that's most readily, you know, accessible to mm-hmm. you. It's like all of these things. And this is where I feel like so much of our culture gets it wrong. Billion dollar industries are out there telling people you got to correct your eating, you got to correct your exercise, you got to correct that. They they are targeting people at the symptom and charging them all this money 
to chop a leaf off a tree that's just going to grow back. Mm. When, when we do the root work, we go, oh my God, I invested in actually what's down deep in there, those beliefs and worldviews, behavior patterns that I learned to survive. And I start creating that. And all of a sudden I didn't have to play, pay Weight Watchers and Jenny Craig all this money to do this. All of a sudden it just start happening because mm. my body knows what it needs to be the best version of itself. I just don't have a relationship with my body. So I don't know what it's telling me. How can mm. I have a relationship with my body when my mind keeps going, 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 going about all this other stuff? Yep. Right. So it is this cycle of healing that and and the, the craziest thing is I'm also done trying to convince people to heal. Mm. That was the biggest shift for me. The biggest one, because I want it for everybody. Marvin, when I tell you I want this for everybody. I want it for everybody. And I I could proselytize this message of healing so much. But what has also come to is if and when you get ready and I'm a good fit, I'm here. Mm -hmm. My lifestyle will re reflect what healing can do. But I'm no longer doing paid advertisements that you should heal. I'm no longer backing people into a corner and trying to give them all the compelling reasons. I'm no longer taking people's autonomy away, even mm. if their choice is to continue to not live in the fullness and freedom of this healing. Mm. And for me, when I got there, I said, oh shit, I done done something. <laughs> this feels different because yeah. I'm not even trying to convince people to do the thing I've dedicated my life to. Mm -hmm. They get to choose. And that felt powerful. Hmm. Yeah. Choosing you is unmatched. <laughs> it's, it's, it's unmatched. And we have so many different um, messages telling us that there are things that are wrong with us. Mm. And we really just need to sit and be like, no, I'm actually pretty dope. It's it's a, it's a hard it is a hard space to get to, especially when when people have been telling you for so long that you are not whatever enough, um, either through their words or their actions. But once you get there, it is a freedom like like no other. Mm. It's a freedom like no other. Once you get there, then next thing you know, you find community there. Yes. And the community helps you stay there. They help. They help because you're going to veer off a little bit. Oh, yeah. Bit. The community be like, no, 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 no. no, no we're come we're back. back, right, right back. back to the middle. We love you and come back. And come back. <laughs> I knew, I told, before we even hit record, I told Marvin that this was how I was going to say it. We could literally go on talking <laughs> forever. And yeah. you yeah. have an open invitation to join us again anytime you're ready so we can continue to explore these things with each other and therefore with, with my listeners. But for today... As we finish up, I would love for you to please tell folks how they can find you, get in touch with you. And like, what do you do? I always love the podcast where we get to the end and people don't like, like, I don't actually know what this person does because the conversation was so <laughs> dope. So tell us what you do. Go ahead and talk about your podcast because you have one as well. Um, your TED Talk, all that stuff. How can people be like, I want more of that, brother? Yeah. Um, so the best way is is probably through Instagram. Um, that's where I have most of my following and post most of my content. That is at M as in Marvin Tolliver, T-O-L-I-V as in Victor E-R. 
underscore LCSW um, on Instagram. Um, what do I do? I <laughs> I do so much. Um, so I am a therapist. So um, I'm with a private practice called the Radical Therapy Center, where we prioritize folks with marginalized identities. So people of color, queer folks, immigrants, um, anyone with a marginalized identity, we created that space for folks like us. Um, I am a consultant. So you can go to my website, marvintoliver.com. You can book a consulting session with me, whether it's you have an issue or not have an issue, but you, I don't know, people have consulted for a majority of reasons, um, majority, a myriad of reasons, um, from help with a client to help with navigating a stressful working situation to like just having an idea. And like, I want to get this off the ground. I'm really, really helpful with that kind of stuff. Um, I do keynotes. I just did one in Cincinnati, um, uh, which was, uh, incredible. Um, going to do one also in, um, January or February, whatever month it is now. Um, what else? I'm actually a, a wedding officiant. So if you want me to officiate your wedding, I marry literally everyone. Um, I run a, a group for black men. So I, I created and facilitate a 10 week group specifically for folks who identify as black men from all walks of life. I've had queer men, have had trans men in the group. Um, it is a, a, a healing and safe space where we can just come support each other and build community. Um, I am the host of the Chasing Liberation podcast. Hopefully you'll be a guest on that podcast. Um, so you can find that wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm also coming out with another podcast called um, Dear Black Man, You Good. And so that is going to be um, essentially a, a group. It's going to be my groups, but in podcast form, it's going to be so dope. The guys are really excited about it. Um, oh, I have so many other things. Hey. I, I have an. Oh, I just wanted to plug one more thing. I'm yeah. I'm having an an, an open uh, men's group, uh, open to the public. It'll be pay what you can. It'll be monthly through Zoom. And so that'll be, uh, again, that'll be on my Instagram and just my Instagram, but look out for that as well. I'm excited for everything that you said. I am hoping that my listeners, whether it's something that you feel like you can take advantage for yourself or referral base, um, know that we're going to have all that information inside of our show notes. So you'll be able to easily access his TED Talk, his website, his Instagram, all that good stuff. Marvin, I just... I just want to sincerely thank you for taking the time out to join me to to share your story, your labor of love, and just really chop it up, you know, around this thing that we call healing. Um, it's been such a great experience for me, and I know it's a great experience for my listeners. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I mean, there's so many things we didn't even talk about. So, so I know. definitely got to have kind of come back on i'm gonna have you on mine we're, we're, we definitely got to keep this going we, we got to run it back yes yeah, yeah. so y'all per usual i want to give a shout out to jay sug from instant classic media who does all my production my nephew trey angel who provides all the music for the labors of love podcast give a shout out to steph who's doing all of my social media stuff though we're taking a slight break because you know what i ain't got to convince nobody of nothing so i ain't really had no content lately you know when I got something I want to say we'll be back um but of course you my listeners um I had been updating I want to tell y'all like we crossed 70,000 downloads and streams so quick and I think we're getting close to 72 so like I always say this ain't a radio station you didn't accidentally turn here and leave it on by mistake you're intentionally choosing to come and listen to the dope guests that I bring on and listen to me and for that I am so grateful so don't forget I'm on all the major social media outlets if you have suggestions for content or guests, you can hit me up at www.thelaborsoflove.com. Until we connect again, you all be well.